It's been two weeks of the new Todd Munkin offense in Baltimore, and the Ravens are 2 0. We talk about how Todd Munkin is settling in. If he's already proving some glimpses of why he was the right hire for the Ravens, I'll come up next here on this Tuesday edition of Locked On Ravens. You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Ravens for your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Ostreicher of Ravenswire, here with you on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every single day. Thank you so much for being here and making us your first listen each and every day on Locked On Ravens. You're free and available all podcasting platforms, including in video form on YouTube. And today's episode of Locked On Ravens is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit Pando.com slash locked on to get started. We come here to you on Tuesday after a doubleheader of Monday Night Football. I'm here to talk about the Ravens, though, is Ken McCusick of Film Study. Ken, I'm super excited to have you back on the show and talk about a 2-0 Ravens football team that ended up picking up just a massive monumental one over Cincinnati. How impressive was it? With all the injuries they were going through, they marched into Cincinnati and took a game from them. Yeah, great, great day for the Ravens, obviously. Great day for Baltimore sports with the Orioles playing so well. And uh, it, it's uh, it's just these are the glory days. We better appreciate them while they're here. Uh, we see that the AFC North is a is a tough division. The Browns, as good as they uh, looked, uh, we will see from the second game on Monday night what's going on. And the Ravens, obviously, at, at 2-0. Uh, great uh, opportunity now. And uh Got to be really happy with what the Ravens have been able to accomplish with a lot of backup talent. Yeah, and I know there are always overreactions, Ken, to the first couple of weeks, maybe first month of the season. Week one, I think, was part of that with the Ravens struggling on offense early in the first half of that Texans game. I think they got it together a little bit in the second half. But we saw, I think, a lot more consistency over the course of the second game with the Bengals. Lamar looked comfortable, and I think the big part of it was, I mean, the offensive line down Linderbaum, down Stanley, you put McCarry and – Sam Mustafer in there and they go out there and give Lamar according to next gen stats, at least lowest pressure rate of his career. So what did you see from the offense and what they're able to do against the Cincinnati defense that does have some talent up front and just on all three levels, honestly. Yeah. So in, in broad strokes, I'd say uh, very impressed with the efficiency of the offense. First of all, they, the Ravens got 26 first downs in this game or only, only knocked off the field five times. So 26 out of 31 in terms of serious success rate is fantastic. Uh, that's that's a uh, uh, you know over eighty percent, eighty three, something like that, uh, is the kind of number that would be well it would tower over the rest of the league if you were able to do that over a full season. And I think the two thousand nineteen Ravens, by comparison, are around seventy nine percent. So uh, outstanding uh, game in this case of efficiency. A lot of what they did in terms of efficiency, you can really see in when they got their first downs. And yeah, they went nine of 14, I think, on third down, but they got 26 first downs. That means they got nine of their 26 first downs came on first or second down, which is really nice to see. Uh, often still quite explosive, whereas the Bengals uh, got went 10 of 15 on third down. And they got 11 of their 19 first downs on third or fourth down. So they were more having more trouble struggling to maintain drives, although they were reasonably efficient themselves at converting third down, certainly. 
Uh, I like what that says about the offense. I thought they were explosive. I thought more importantly, and this is the thing I was most concerned about Malkin, um, they were able to run the ball right down the Bengals' throat when the Bengals knew it was coming. And they closed out the game with a couple of first downs that, uh, you know, they're, they're not automatics. Yeah, and I know that there were some, I don't want to say questions, but I think a lot of people forgot about the run game with all the new shiny weapons that they added. And with Monkey coming in, they're saying throw, 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 throw. But obviously you had Dobbins before he went down. You still had Edwards and all most of the offensive line, at least returning for uh, five starters from that group. But Ken, in this game against the Bengals, at least Baltimore averages 5.9 yards per play as a whole. And I think Todd Munkin, we've seen some tempo from him, which has been nice. We've seen the more also the freedom that Munkin and Harbaugh and Lamar State is going to have him checking at the line, checking out of plays. How do you think Munkin has settled in through two weeks, especially in the Cincinnati game? Yeah, I mean, obviously the the, the level of efficiency in this game is a terrific thing to point to. And they they may have had some ability to go after some weakened uh, uh, teams in these first two weeks. Obviously, Houston did had a, had a pretty darn good defensive line and pass rush from what I thought they presented to the Ravens. The Bengals didn't do a lot special to get after Lamar in this game. And I think they did the Ravens a big favor in that regard, but they didn't, they didn't try and pressure the pocket with extra numbers, particularly often. They did it some. Uh, I got to look at my own offensive line score sheet, make sure I, I'm not uh, missing a lot, but it's mostly four man pass rush. It's uh, it's not a lot of fives and sixes in this. And even the second half when they, when they kind of could see what was going on, they, they didn't try and get an extra man in on Lamar. Uh, so I thought that was, uh, you know, probably something that they they did that would uh, would would help the Ravens. The other thing that has done been really effective for both the Browns and the Bengals, having faster linebackers and specifically JOK, Akeem Davis Gaither is is on this thing, and I think a great instinct linebacker, Logan Wilson, is they've been able to get after Lamar as soon as the pocket is about to break. Now the normal rule is your linebacker who's you know spying or is in a short zone on the same side of the field as the as the rollout will will go after the quarterback as soon as the pocket is broken uh that's just the automatic assignment rule but uh they they go after him quicker than that so he can't even get settled outside the pocket and they've been very effective with that not I didn't think that was the case in this game at all Lamar stayed in the pocket roamed the pocket very effectively and I would put a lot of the uh I would more of the effectiveness and the lack of effective pressure against Lamar uh, in Lamar's uh, win column as opposed to the offensive line. Offensive line was okay, but th- but they were not presented with a huge set of challenges, I didn't think, in this game, uh, other than the, the, the lost personnel. But they they did they did a, uh, you know, a yeoman's job. They had a lot of penalties, which were not good, but I thought that, that uh, a lot of what went right with the offense was Lamar. Yeah, and I'm interested to kind of get more of a deep dive into your grades for the offensive line and your score sheet there, as you mentioned, that you had, because... I think a lot of talk was made about, oh, well, the offensive line with the low pressure rate and everything. Again, with the guys they were missing, I think with all the expectations that were, oh, the Bengals are just going to pressure Lamar and it's it's going to be ugly, it was a, so much better than what people anticipated. But I'm interested to hear what your thoughts were, whether you have individual notes or, or team notes on what that line did on Sunday. Yeah, I uh, I thought Morgan Moses was outstanding. He's probably the offensive lineman I would point to uh, as having the, the least. I, one of the things I noticed that uh, he was charged with a pressure, and I don't have him for any pressure events in this game, but the, the big thing was uh, uh, he got tripped up 
by Zeitler's guy bull rushing him on the on the what ended up being a quarterback hit. That quarterback hit goes entirely to Zeitler as a, as a ended up being a quarterback hit by Hubbard um, that, that tripped up Moses. Uh, other than that, I mean, there just weren't a total a lot of pressure events, but there weren't none either. I know I've seen one something that Hendrickson didn't had a pressure against McCrary. I don't agree with that. Um, I have him for a half one early, another full one, uh, and another half one that might not have been Hendrickson, but it was against McCary. And so, so you know, McCary giving up two pressures, by the way, is fantastic at left tackle in a game where you, where you play 70 offensive snaps. So no no shade on McCary for this game. I thought he had a great game. Uh, you know, the other guys who had, who had more penalties and Zeitler, unfortunately, uh, weren't as good in this game. And, uh, uh, you know, that's just the way it went. I'll, I'll tell you, I have not tabulated my scorecard yet, but it'll be out there. I have some all 22 checks to do against it um, that I need to confirm, but it'll be out there on my site uh, tomorrow. Yeah, again, based off what the expectations were, I think an overall great job by the Ravens offensive line as a whole. But I know going back to Monk and Ken, what are some of the adjustments that you saw from week one to week two, and especially how did Lamar look comfortability-wise to you in both weeks? Okay, I, I'll, I'm going to start with it with a non-Lamar one because I think we talked about Lamar a little bit in this. I'm going to start with Devin Duvernay, who was completely out of the offensive game, game plan in week one with only seven snaps, I believe it was. And this week, he lined up in the backfield twice. He ran the ball from jet motion a couple times. I mean, it's just it was a it was exactly what I would have hoped for in getting other players used in the gadget game other than Flowers. Flowers is too valuable to use exclusively as a gadget player. And I know he's nice as a gadget player too, but I really want him taking the top off the defense and being in for the snaps where you really need that done in particular. Yep. And uh, and I thought they did a better job in this game of doing that and actually getting the completion to Flowers on that kind of a throw where there was safety help anyway is going to draw even more safety help in the future as a percentage of the snaps he runs a, he runs a vertical route. Yeah, and that to me, I know that a lot of people felt like it was almost forced touches to Zay in week one, where mm-hmm. I, I don't know if forced is the right word that I would use there, because I do think he can have value as a, as a gadget guy. But we saw the value that DuVernay had, has had in that role over the past couple of seasons. So getting the ball into one of those players' hands is really important, especially with a guy like DuVernay, who I think is a, still a very talented player in this whole entire thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, he was 0 for 3 on targets in this game, but uh, you know he was... Uh, in pretty good shape. I thought the ball was not terribly thrown or anything. It just was a very hard catch exactly where it was in the on the, in the end zone. But uh, the Ravens aren't short on speed guys this year, and this really ought to play in Amonkin's hands. If you can use Duvernay, then you can use Justice Hill in that same way. Hill had some, had some good plays in this one, certainly. Uh, probably can do more to get him second-level first contact opportunities and, and get some additional yards for him and get him the ball in his hands in the passing game a little bit more in space. And then I really look forward to when Keaton Mitchell comes back. If this game is any indication, I don't think they're really serious about using Melvin Gordon. And I think we may even find that Duvernay becomes the third running back because of the need for a roster spot. So right now, every single one of their inactives is effectively in use. And they, I don't think they can afford to have that be the case. And after week three, they're going to have to elevate Mustafer and elevate um, Worley if they want to continue to use them because they'll be out of activations. So at that point, I think they, they're going to have to make some moves, either, either put some players on IR 
or uh, you know, make some difficult choices like getting that extra running back off the team. I think Gordon is probably the the 54, 53rd guy right now. Because yeah, it's it's three activations, right? That you have three before. activations. That's correct. So I feel like if they were to activate, if they were just going to promote Gordon to the fifty three, they would have done it. I think they want to use his activations. Mitchell comes back hopefully week four, and then Gordon can stay on the practice squad, and then maybe that could happen. Did they elevate Daryl Worley then already? Because I thought he was still working I th- on activations. I think, I think they promoted him to the – if I'm not mistaken, I think they did promote okay. him already to the active roster. So I'm a, I'm a step behind then in in, uh, in <laughs> knowing who they promoted. But then if as long as they've got act- free activations left with Gordon, I say ride that out until week five. Yep, I'm 100% with you there. Coming up in the second part of the show, we'll continue talking about Todd Monk and also some early Ravens takeaways, especially about that defensive unit. So be sure to stay tuned, plan to talk about Unlocked on Ravens. But first, this episode is brought to you by Jace Medical, and don't be caught unprepared. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. Jace handles everything from online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care. The Jace case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. All it takes to get a Jace case is all you have to do is fill out a simple online form and in some cases jump on a quick call with one of their board-certified physicians. You can go and care from those physicians on any treatment-related Questions, doctor created, doctor recommended, and everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. That's why Jace Medical offers the Jace case. The Jace case, again, provides those five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use and gives you peace of mind so that you're not just hoping that you have access to medication in an emergency. Jace Medical, make sure you have the medication in hand. Jace Medical is simple. They handle everything from the online evaluation, the licensed pharmacy medication delivery, and ongoing consultation and care. Don't get caught unprepared. Save more than $360 by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical, plus an additional $20 off by using code locked on and check out at jacemedical.com. That's J A S E medical.com, promo code locked on. And this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets when to lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action than right now. The app is super easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options that include spreads, player props, overrunners, and more. So if you bet, say, flowers overs, might have won yourself a ton of money. Maybe you bet. On the Ravens outright as well, that would have been a good bet for you too. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel official partner of the NFL. We are back. Our second segment of Locked On Ravens. Kevin Allshaker still here with Ken McCusick. And Ken, I wanted to, before we get into the defense, want to wrap up offensively with Todd Munkin. With your expectations for the offense through two weeks, what they were going into it. I know there are a lot of people who are saying, well, how long does it take before Todd Munkin proves he's the right hire? It's not right now. We still still have a little ways to go before we can officially say that. But I'm at least a little encouraged by what we've seen from him over two weeks. So based off your expectations, where are you now on Todd Munkin and the Todd Munkin, I guess, experience through two weeks with him? Yeah, I, I mean, I, what I'm going to say is I'm on I'm on schedule. I, I, I think, you know, in going to camp this year, there were a lot of very frustrating days where it appeared that, that Lamar was not really on the same page or, or not, um, didn't have the accuracy necessarily. They had a, you know, one Saturday there, there were nine interceptions and four of them were Lamar. So it wasn't all the backup quarterbacks. Uh, you know, that wasn't fun to watch in terms of, of, of what was going on. And, um, you know, Monken has talked to, he talks a very good game in terms of understanding space and whatnot. Excuse me. I think we started to see a little bit of it in this last game. Uh, and, and I hope we'll see more. I, I, I really want to see in particular, the three fast guys, not named Zay Flowers, get the ball in their hands in space 
even more than they have so far. I think this team, honestly, the, the loss of Beckham is potentially serious, but they're, they're at least they have depth at, those, at, at that position. And, and uh, uh, Odell, while he's, he's outmatched my expectations for him, is a guy who, who I think um, you know, they, they have other players. And I, I really also look forward, the big player I look forward to seeing more of on offense is Bateman. Uh, they, ha- yeah. they haven't really gone to him nearly as much as I expect. And I really do expect he, you know, Flowers probably is now the Ravens' number one receiver just based on, on what yes. we've seen so far yep. and, the, and the things. But I think Bateman still should be, you know, the X receiver, clearly the number one guy on that side of the field. And they should really be complementing each other in terms of, of how they produce value and, and creating dilemmas for that defense where they don't need, where they don't know how to apply their safety, single high safety asset or their, uh, or, or force them into cover two. And for Bateman, do you think it's a ramp up thing for him or based off of the film you've seen, is it just there? It's more of a, he's not getting open or he's not being utilized. What do you think it is with Bateman right now through these two weeks? Well, I mean, he's caught six out of six balls. I don't think it's an issue with that. I think it's snap count. He's, he's implemented in the field for, I think 69 snaps, 25 and 44. If I remember through the first two games. So I think that, I mean, you'd expect if that's one game's worth of, worth of snaps and six targets would be fantastic for that, or you'd be happy with it. Uh, the yardage is not great. So um, he's not getting high quality opportunities. I would like to see more of the scheme run through him uh, to do that. Bateman is a Bateman's value. A lot of it brings to the Ravens is at the top of the route because his route running um, ability and the ability to specifically make the cornerback at the top of the route make the wrong move is what makes him very special and so i think i would like to see a few slower developing plays i think lamar's hap is capable of of uh, navigating the pocket for a longer period to make that happen but he's got to kind of stay with bateman at, at the as probably the second read at the top of the route tree so this time i mean sometimes you gotta have a first read that's that's gonna that route is going to develop more quickly if it's there take it but if if it's not, then you you're you're on Bateman at the at the top of the stem, and you you find where he's going to on the field. Um, I, I think there's more value to be derived there, so I'd I'd like to see uh, him utilize more. I agree with you. And going back to your point on the receiver depth, I mean it's such a good point because last year, Ken, I think we all knew what would happen if Rashad Bateman went down with the lack of depth they had. It was it was Bateman or bust, and then they lost Bateman and Duvernay, and it was just a disaster. Mm-hmm. Now with Beckham, we don't know if he's going to miss any time. I know John Harbaugh said what he said, but we don't have a firm timeline on it. If Beckham has to miss some time, I mean, you still have Bateman, you have Duvernay and Flowers and Aguilar and all these guys that can make an impact. I mean, Odell Beckham is a, is a receiver over 30 years old. If you don't have an expectation for some missed time, either from this injury alone, but also in general from injuries. Sure. I mean, to me, it was one of the first things in deciding an over-under on yards for Bateman Start with the number of games you're going to play. He's going to play. Multiply that by the number of targets per game. Multiply that by yards per target. That's your yardage number for for the year for for uh, uh, Beckham. And I think that that the that there's been so much talk about he's going to play a full season. He's healthy again. Well, it's very unlikely. The guy's a you know a 30 plus wide receiver age. Very unlikely to do it. Specifically coming off with his injury history. It is what it is, but I, you know, I've really appreciated what we've seen from Beckham in some ways I didn't expect. And one is the savvy veteran penalties he's drawn. Um, <laughs> the first week, the second, the second uh, DPI was completely uh, a natural. Uh, you know, the defender ran through 
Beckham on the play. The first one was a he forced the cutoff call to be made when it probably wasn't that flag wasn't going to be thrown if he just uh, lollygagged his way through the play. And this third thing where he pulled the defender on down on top of him is the funniest thing I've ever seen. So it, great plays there from Beckham. The ref wasn't even looking at the play, no. I don't think. And he just Beckham dutifully just threw the flag. <laughs> hey, benefit of the Ravens. So I'm, I'm, I'm not complaining about it. But you're right. I think with Beckham, it almost brings us back to like the Julio Jones conversations. If the Ravens were ever going to get him or even Sammy Watkins, where those are players that historically with injury histories, you have to account if you sign those guys mm-hmm. for missed time. I think with Beckham, it's the same sort of thing where I think that's why you bring in all this depth. Beckham, you know, he has been, I think, decently good so far I think he's made the most of most of his opportunities but I still think that with him with Aguilar coming in and Flowers you have at least the depth to miss a couple games with Beckham and still be okay but defensively Ken I mean we know that Mike McDonald has uh, had Joe Burrow and the Bengals number over the course of his short tenure as the Ravens defensive coordinator and uh, my favorite stat from you that was put out here is that Joe Burrow had that perfect 0.0 passer rating on balls thrown 15 yards on Sunday. You mentioned six incompletions and an interception on seven attempts. How did Mike McDonald do this again? How did he make this Bengals offense look so uncomfortable and so unnatural? Okay. So the the basis is this, that when McDonald shows a cover two shell to Burrow, Burrow has non-elite arm strength. And so anytime he wants to make a throw deep down the field, he likes to make sure it's a single coverage opportunity where the receiver can go get the football. And he has guys that are great at doing that in Higgins and Chase. Chase with speed, Higgins with catch radius. The the two of them are are very dangerous. Boyd also similarly dangerous in terms of a one-on-one opportunity. So that's what a lot of their offenses is based on is trying to get these one-on-one plays. Now, when he has to make a throw uh, further down the field, uh, he's really putting the ball at risk with his limited arm strength. And the the second issue here is that the calf injury, I believe, is further impacting the velocity he can get on the football. I think, and, and I haven't seen any statistics to bear this out, but I'll just say the interception thrown to Geno Stone, he's completely focused on the trailing coverage, trying to line that up for the perfect spot. And he's got a good idea of what his own arm strength is, is delivering that ball. It was a looping ball. It was not a Joe Flacco line drive type football or a Kyle Bowler line drive even. Uh, even with some lost accuracy, that ball would have just been an incomplete with Kyle Bowler. With uh, with uh, Burrow, he threw it up there as, as an artillery shell, uh, more or less, and that gave Stone plenty of time to read Burrow, get into the play, and basically break the rules on his own coverage uh, to uh, to make that interception. So that it, all the last four games... Burrow hasn't had a quarterback rating over, I think, 80. It was Yesterday was his highest one, so it was 86 or something. Uh, he hasn't had a good quarterback rating against the Ravens in any of those games. And that was after he threw for 941 yards against the Ravens in 2021. So McDonald, in his time here, has completely neutralized Joe Burrow. And I think the thing that makes it even more impressive, Ken, is the fact that they were missing Marlon Humphrey. They were missing Marcus Williams. And again, that's a credit to, I think, both McDonald and the players in that secondary. You mentioned Geno Stone and his big play. He, he's been an underrated player for them for a while. He stepped up for Marcus Williams last year and I thought played pretty well. But then you have Rocky Yassin making a play. Ronald Darby has been, I think, more of a pleasant surprise than I anticipated so far. You have other guys as well. So we talked about how the offensive line guys stepped up. How long defense did you think the secondary stepped up in the absence of some of the big guys? Yeah, huge. I, I do think that the hidden force in all of this has been Kyle Hamilton. That Kyle Hamilton playing on the back end is an, is an enormous uh, uh, 
player that that Burrow really didn't want to throw anywhere close to. But but the the, comp, the pair of Stone and Hamilton playing the deep halves of the field and having their eyes on Burrow the whole time means he's he's got to really take a chance with the football when he throws the ball downfield. Uh, has made Burrow go to the short game, and that has really played into the hands of the cornerbacks. So kind of like we talk on offense that Lamar Jackson makes everybody better. The fact that the Ravens are able to play zone defense against uh, against Burrow means that all of the passes are going short. The Ravens have to rally to the football. They have to play good assignment football. They have to diagnose passes well. They have to tackle well. And they did all three of those things well. The corners were a big part of it on Saturday. I agree with you. I think each of the guys, particularly on the on the at left corner, had one big play. Yasin with a highlight reel throwdown of Jamar Chase. Darby with the undercut for the PD. And, uh, and on the other side, I thought Stevens – Played well, uh, generally speaking, played mistake-free football other than the penalty. And, uh, and I, you know, it's interesting that he's now a guy who was going to move to safety. Then they said, okay, he's going to start camp as a slot corner, is now the indispensable number one cornerback on a team that doesn't have Marlon Humphrey. Which is Absolutely. incredible, yeah. uh, unbelievable, because to me, you know, him, it's been very back and forth for Stevens, where they were, he played SMU as the corner after transitioning over from running back. The Ravens said, we're going to play it safety, and then they moved him back to corner, and they said, all right, now it's safety again, and then obviously we know Kenny's playing quarter again for him. So that, that can be damaging to a career in some aspects. I mean, we've seen teams move players around. They don't really get a grip on a certain thing. Stevens is... I've been wary of Stevens and just how the shifting is going to impact his career. But I think this season he stepped up more than I thought he would. So I've been impressed with that. He's in the right spot. And and the Ravens can't afford for him to be anywhere else. And they shouldn't try and move him again. I, I honestly don't believe it'll happen again until he loses the necessary speed to play the position, which might be not be for several years. But I think I, I think the Ravens safety depth is good. They're grooming another safety on the practice squad to take over if they lose people. They've got Duran Harmon, who's an unbelievably experienced safety uh, in there. T- tremendous player to still be available at this point, by the way, and for the, for the Rays to be able to pick up. And, you know, th- they are in not in any um, immediate danger there, unlike other positions, to lose a bunch of people to free agency. So they don't, Marcus Williams isn't going anywhere. And, uh, and uh, obviously Kyle Hamilton isn't going anywhere for at least the next three years after this, because he'll certainly be a fifth year option guy they will pick up. Uh, so it means that, you know, basically there's not going to be a ton of opportunities for anybody, but a dime safety. I do think the Ravens will get back to that in 2024 when Queen is gone, but they'll have, uh, you know, some, uh, I, I think they have a tremendous amount of talent at safety. It'd be the least concerned I am about any position. Yeah, I, I was impressed with the depth in training camp, and I think it's translated over when Williams comes back again. I mean, they're, they're so loaded there. It's going to be a problem for opposing teams. So coming up in the final part of our show, we'll be talking about more takeaways and some injury updates on Odo Beckham and Afe Owe and more. So be sure to stay tuned. Still lots to get to on this episode of Locked on Ravens. But first, this episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. And if you're looking for daily fantasy sports, look no further than Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the most fun. So many have had up to 25 times their money this football season. All you have to do is select two or more players, pick more or less than projected stats, and place your entry. They have quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types. That's what makes Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. And maybe you picked. Justin Jefferson for more than his projected yards total. Maybe Lamar Jackson for more than his total yards. Odell, he did go down, but maybe it took him for less and he ended up hitting on that. Price Picks offers weekly promotions that can lead to big pals like Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, Price Picks discounts like fair projections of 25% to provide even more value. Go to Price Picks. 
PricePicks.com slash LockdownNFL and use code LockdownNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's PricePicks.com slash LockdownNFL. Use code LockdownNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. PricePicks, Steady Fantasy Sports made easy. We return our final segment of Locked On Ravens on Tuesday. Kevin Ostrecker still here with Ken McCusick. And Ken, when talking about some early takeaways, I know concern points entering the year for a lot of people were the corner depth in the pass rush and how those two things are going to go, especially early on in the season. We talked about corner a lot in that second segment. So I want to move more into pass rush. I think Shadavian Clowney has been super impactful so far, both as an edge guy and also given a little juice in the pass rushing department as well. We saw Owe go down. Ajabo had the strip sack in week one. We saw a lot of Tavius Robinson once Owe went down in week two. And obviously on the interior, they've had Justin Matabike make a couple of plays and a couple other guys step up. But where are you on the pass rush right now based off what you've seen? Well, I, first of all, if anybody's concerned about the pass rush, the fact they only got one sack or they didn't get as much pressure as they thought they would against Burrow, I wouldn't be worried about that at all. The, the whole scheme of the Cincinnati Bengals was get the ball out of, out of Burrow's hands quickly. By my scoring, they had 44 pass plays, and they had 20 of those where the ball was out of Burrow's hands before any pressure had a chance to develop. Uh, he had very low time to throw, 2.28 seconds, I think, this week. Uh, but what that also meant is that his average depth of reception was only 3.1 yards past the line of scrimmage. So it was tied for the worst in the entire NFL. Uh, a lot of He had a lot of red yards of yak. So meaning, meaning what I mean by that is, is he threw a ball behind the line of scrimmage where they had to get six yak, for example, to get to the line of scrimmage. So a lot of the yak value didn't work in a terrible distribution of yak versus total yards. It was like, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but it's, it's, it's a hundred, something like 139 and 83. Um, we only had, only had in the eighties in terms of yards, uh, at the throw. And then uh, the bulk of his yardage was gained from yak. So, I, I would be I'd be very encouraged by by that for starters. Jadavian Clowney, you mentioned, has been a revelation, much better than I would have expected him to be as a pass rusher. Um, now I know there's there's some difference of opinion because PFF had him for only uh, two pressures in this last game, the sack and the quarterback hit. I have him for five others where he impacted right. the cone, where he was in the throwing cone, forced the burrow to move in the pocket, and did various other things that were uh, extremely positive. And he was, he was the biggest single factor. He was way ahead of everybody else. Nobody had more than else had more than two pressures. Uh, Michael Pierce did a good job with a couple and Tavius Robinson. We saw a couple pressures that turned into about quarterback hits by somebody else. So those were good, both good plays, but I'm just uh, extremely happy with who Jadavian Clowney ended up to be dropped to cover five times in this game. And that was one of the things where the Ravens asked their outside linebackers to do that. Clowney has been a four, three edge. For most of his career so he hasn't done too much of it but uh, uh to give you an idea bowser dropped on over 30 it's about 32 percent of his snaps career wise uh clowny had dropped on three percent of his snaps career wise and but he dropped five in this game it was about 13 and a half percent and and uh it's a big step up for him and mcdonald still wants that flexibility to work his pass rush from other directions uh and have clowny be a um you know a, a zone defender when needed yeah and you know if, if you're an outside linebacker, an edge guy in this system, you're going to drop back to cover at mm -hmm. some points. I mean, Justin Houston did it, and a lot of people were saying, why are you dropping Houston back into coverage? And it's just, it's just what they do. You're going to get some of those snaps. So Clowney's been great. I, again, I, I was with you, Ken. I wasn't sure what he was going to bring pass rush-wise. I knew he was a great edge guy on the in the run game, but pass rush-wise, he's been 
really exceeding expectations for me. Well, let's get a bit into injuries. I know we're not doctors. I'm not going to ask you to diagnose anything or anything like that, but we got some updates on Odo Beckham and Odafe Owe from John Harbaugh. Not necessarily super detailed ones. I don't know if we're going to ever get a detailed injury report from John Harbaugh again after what happened with Lamar last season, but doesn't seem like those guys have super serious injuries, but if they have to miss a game or two, Ken, how do you feel like even with Stanley and Linderbaum and all the other guys who were out but not out for the season, do you think that the Ravens' depth can continue to step up the way that they have so far through two weeks for a longer period of time? So I guess we have to go position by position for that. I'm very happy with the way Mustafer has played. I thought he gave the Ravens quite a bit in this game in terms of a, of a quality uh, backup for uh, Linderbaum. So, uh, you know, there's a drop-off in play. There's no doubt about it. I'd rather have Tyler Linderbaum out there. But Sam Mustafer is a hell of a backup interior lineman to have on your team and and there's a lot of teams he'd be either a starter or he'd be their immediate number six guy at three different positions like McCary is kind of for this team uh and and it's uh you know the Ravens are lucky they found a, a hidden gem on a team where he just was not working well within the Chicago Bears lack of continuity on the offensive line so I think that that really worked out for them at left tackle, I, I am not optimistic about McCary's long-term prospects there so I hope that it won't be a a long absence, but boy, he had a great game this week. And you know, when teams are rushing four, I think McCary is a is a hell of a player to to kind of hold it together for you. And let's face it, left tackle depth just doesn't exist in the National Football League. If there's yep. 26 good left tackles to go around on 32 teams, you can't expect to have two of those. So, <laughs> so yeah. you're uh, you know you're, you you have Ronnie Stanley. We know he's you know at at this point who he is in terms of potential injuries, and we have McCary and. We hope for the best. And I think the Ravens are playing it right to McCary being exclusively a left tackle backup. I, I I think he's too valuable there to use him anywhere else except maybe right tackle if something were to happen there and Stanley was back. That, that makes sense. And I know that we don't know how long the Stanley and Linderbaum injuries are, but I think it, it's better – at least the long-term prospects are better than I thought they were. Mustafer, for example, is a guy that I really wasn't sure on, but mm -hmm. the Bears, you mentioned, it just have such a lack of continuity, a lack of a lot of things over there in Chicago right mm -hmm. now. So Mustafer was a great find for them, and especially a guy like Geno Stone, too, who we know has stepped up. The Ravens with the wide receiver depth. Nelson Aguilar was someone who impressed all training camp, and we heard all about him in training camp, and he did a bunch as well in the Cincinnati game, which I was really impressed with, too. But – in terms of everything else that this team has to offer, Ken, I know it's a long season. We still have a long season ahead. But where do you think, like, what do you think the ceiling is for them at this point? We've seen two weeks. It's not like we still have to see a lot more. You know, it hasn't yeah. been enough time to say, oh, well, they can be this or they can be that. I asked you about if you're encouraged, but at least let, let's do defense here. How how good do you think this Ravens defense can be, especially when guys like Marlon and Marcus Williams come back? So... I, I don't know if they're going to be better when and if Marcus Williams comes back. And the reason is that Stone is playing pretty well. And I don't, I, I, you know, Marcus Williams might or might not be the same kind of player if he comes back with an injury. So I, I can't really say in, in the case of Humphrey, I know that's going to be an immediate upgrade. Uh, and, and even if it's not, um, sorry, it would be an immediate upgrade no matter what. If, if Ardarius Washington, for example, comes off the field and, and Humphrey were to play in the slot, that would be an upgrade, but, um, but they would, they would certainly get value from, from Humphrey being back. I think more importantly, they'll get depth. So they'll be more prepared for the next injury to occur when it does. And, uh, you know, I, I think Humphrey will be, you know, a star player again. I, I I would certainly expect that to be the biggest upgrade. Um, and then if, if I'm sorry, were you asking about some other positions specifically? 
just the defense in general. Yeah. Um, you know, Bowser is the other really big one. If, if, if he comes back, it, it puts the Ravens back into a, being able to run their pass rush in the most flexible way possible with a lot of Bowser drops. And that means more ability to rush the quarterback from slot corner, safety or inside linebacker and still maintain a very um, efficient coverage. So what they did against the Bengals, it worked against the Bengals. And I'm actually a little bit more concerned about how it's going to work against a stronger armed quarterback. Uh, Gardner Minshew might, by the way, might be another guy who it works pretty well against uh, in terms of, of showing them cover two on a regular basis and just saying, hey, come on, either run the ball on us or or, or play the small ball passing game and, and we'll take either. Yeah, and I know we'll see whether it's Richardson, whether it's Minshew that suits up for the Colts in week three. But I, I want to round this out, Ken, by getting back to a point that you made in the first part of the show about the roster and the I guess roster crunch this team might have in a couple of weeks when guys are ready to come off of IR or the PUP list or NFI list, you know, they have some guys on there, Bowser, Keaton Mitchell, you know, even a guy like, uh, uh, who else do they have on IR? It's, uh, Lee Cam they have on IR, but yeah. I don't know if he's going to come back, but yeah, it's the Bowsers and the Mitchells. So how do you think they're going to maneuver? through all that when it comes to everything. Yeah. You know, I, I don't really even try and figure that out sometimes. And we do have a regular show that I do Friday morning GM where we, where we want to get into a lot of these things. But the truth of the matter is that, that um, we don't know who's going to get hurt the next two weeks. And as much as we'd like to sit here and say, Oh, it's just going to be great when the Ravens get, get, uh, you know, some of their players back, the net effect is almost always to more injuries as the season goes along, even if you're getting a couple of people back here and there. So they'll get a sprinkle back and they'll get, a, unfortunately, another raft will go out of, of players that could hurt and are, are not available. And unfortunately, I believe that the, the IR list is probably going to work itself out over the next a couple of weeks with either new injuries or uh, some of the current IR people being designated for a longer term there. Yeah, so uh, Pepe Williams, that's another one I forgot. Pepe mm -hmm. Williams also on IR, so he'll come back, and we'll see how the Ravens' corner depth shakes up with all that. But, Ken, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for hopping on the show with me. Please tell people where they can find you and, and what you've been working on. All right, outstanding. Thank you, Kevin. Um, I'm at Film Study Ravens on Twitter. I don't know if you use the video on this for a, for a feed on uh, on YouTube or not, yeah. but but okay, so that's great. Uh, and uh, I'm FilmStudyBaltimore.com is the website. I do about eight shows a week, uh, very technical analysis of the defense and offense that has come out on Tuesday and Wednesday, respectively, from the previous week, including offensive line scoring, which which Kevin uh, alluded to here in the in the show. And then uh, uh, have four other shows this year. We do a Know Your Foe show. We do a uh, Friday morning GM. I do a show called One Last Thing, which talks about one last thing from the previous week and another matchup show that is prior to the the additional game, which I do with uh, Frazier Tafar. is uh, a, a new guy I found who's really terrific, by the way. Awesome. Well, yeah, Ken has all the work out there. He's one of the brightest minds when it comes to the Ravens. As you just heard here on today's show, so the link to his work will obviously be in the description down below. But Ken, thank you again so much for joining me. That's all I have for you here today on Locked on Ravens. Coming up tomorrow, of course, is more Ravens content here on this show. So be sure to stay tuned for that. I'll see you right back here tomorrow on Locked on Ravens.